Today's Bible reading comes from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good morning, everyone. Uh, friends, <coughs> excuse me, before I pray this morning, if you missed out on getting a copy of Be Still My Soul, there's some um, copies on the back table. Uh, this book has been written to give to our brothers and sisters who are dying or facing a life-limiting illness or their family, um, but also for those who may not be a Christian, but they'll like to know the reason for the hope the Christian has in death. So they're on the back table if you'd like to um, grab a copy of those. Uh, please join with me in prayer. Uh, gracious Father, I go weak and needy to this task. Uh, please give me today a heart that's uplifted uh, to serve you and your people well. Uh, gracious Lord, we are in ever, ever great need of coming to know your glory more fully, of our faith in you ever deepening, and for you to produce in us that fruitfulness of faith. A gracious Father, hear our plea and cry for such works of grace in and through us as your people this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, I uh, was listening to the ABC radio and I was fascinated by a story about a horse breeder who helps orphan foals. Now, I never knew this, but if a foal's mother dies, then normally the foal dies. And the reason being is that uh, no mare will allow an illegitimate foal to drink its milk. There's a horse breeder in New South Wales who's come up with a, um, I think, an ingenious way to overcome this. So when one of her mares gives birth, she covers the foal with a blanket that's been smeared with eucalyptus oil. When the mother smells her newborn uh, baby foal, she smells the eucalyptus oil. When this horse breeder gets a phone call 
from uh, a desperate uh, uh, family where a foal has been orphaned, uh, she'll head out to that property both with one of her mares and a blanket that's been smeared with that uh, eucalyptus oil. And what she does when she gets to the property, she goes to the orphan foal and she puts the blanket that's covered with eucalyptus oil on the foal. Then she releases one of her mares into the paddock. Uh, when the mare comes to the foal and smells the foal who's been orphaned, she smells the oil and she's deceived into thinking that this foal is hers. And then the mare allows the foal to drink its mother's milk. I think what an ingenious deception. Uh, by the way, uh, horses are not the only ones who can be deceived. It can happen to churches. Uh, the Christians who gathered at Laodicea, they saw themselves as a spiritually mature community. In fact, we're told that they did not believe they needed anything. They believed that the fruit of their faith, you know, the works that they were doing, was actually pleasing God. The problem for the church at Laodicea is that they were self-deceived. How they think of themselves is not how Christ thinks of them. In verse 14, you'll notice that the risen Lord Jesus reminds the Laodicean Christians, he says to them, I am the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the very source of all creation. So what Christ is reminding this church is that when he speaks, he speaks the truth. He is the Amen. When he makes a judgment, those judgments are irrefutable. He is a faithful and true witness. And when he acts, no one can resist. He is the Lord of creation. The point is that their opinion of themselves really, quite frankly, matters little. It's Christ's opinion that matters because he's telling the church he judges from the position of divine truth and eternal power. So what does Christ find when he judges the church at Laodicea? Well, he doesn't find a spiritually mature community who needs nothing. On the contrary, he finds an impoverished church a church that is stunningly self-deceived and far from pleasing God, they're, being, they're in danger of being spat out of his mouth. It's both a horrifying and tragic judgment. Where's the fruit of the Spirit? Where's the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control? Where is it? Where's the fruit of good works? Where's the fruit of the gospel? Where's the spirit of love, the fruit of holiness? Like lukewarm water, the Laodicean's Christianity is useless. It's ineffective. And Christ tells them that he finds such tepid Christianity sickening. A little bit of background into the city of Laodicea at this point is a, probably a little bit helpful. 
Geographically, Laodicea was between two towns. Seven miles to the north was a city called Hierapolis. That city was famous for its hot springs, which was used for medical, medicinal purposes. So in Hierapolis, the hot water was useful, effective, good. If you go 10 miles to the south of Laodicea was the city of Colossae. And the water by that time was cool. And so it was drinkable. It was good, useful. But because Laodicea was in the middle, its water was lukewarm and undrinkable. So whereas the hot water in Hierapolis and the cold water in Colossae were useful and beneficial, Laodicea's water was good for nothing. In fact, it's vomit-inducing. You drink that water, it, it induces vomit. Right. With this in mind, what the Lord Jesus is saying is that the Laodicean church has become like its water. It's useless. It's ineffective. In fact, it's good for nothing. That's why Jesus says in verse 15, I wish you were either hot or cold. In other words, he's saying, I wish that your faith, like hot or cold water, was useful and effective, a blessing to others. Jesus is not saying that he wishes that their faith be either spiritually hot or spiritually cold. Not at all. Christ would never desire a church, their faith, to be cold. Jesus' point is that his will for them is that they would possess a faith that produces good and abundant and eternal fruitfulness. And sadly, when Christ judges the church at Laodicea, it's not the case. And worse still, if they continue, Christ is warning them that they'll come under his judgment. I think one of the most important questions we have to ask this morning is how is it that the church could lose its way so badly? Uh, look with me at verse 17. Jesus tells us, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I do not need a thing. That church has fallen into the sin that first sent humanity into the abyss. It's pride. Look at us. We're wealthy. We're actually getting more wealthy. We're doing so well, we actually don't need anything. It seems as if their material gain and prosperity has become the seedling of pride. It's now growing into a lifestyle that shouts out, we don't need Jesus. The church's attitude wasn't out of character with the rest of the inhabitants of Laodicea. In fact, the church was simply reflecting the culture they lived in. Laodicea was known to be an extremely wealthy business centre. It, it had banks, clothing, incredible clothing trade and its world-famous ointment. This was a vibrant, rich, successful city. In fact, we're told that when an earthquake hit the region in 60 AD, the city was rebuilt, but not by Rome. Uh, these townspeople gathered together and they all chipped in and rebuilt the city themselves. 
I mean, the Laodiceans were a very proud people. And it seems that their pride was as infectious as the plague. It's now crept into the church. But God knows their works. He sees their pride. He's heard their self-deception. He's heard their self-dependent boasting. And he knows what they really love and trust. Pride is still an infectious disease and it's very much part of our world, isn't it? Just think for a moment, when our world is confronted with a crisis, how do we respond? We will fix this with our technology, our education, our legislation, our money and our military might. Does it not? For example, think about climate change. Does the world call out to the living creator who made all things, confessing our past sin? And call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the great sustainer of all things, to come to our aid and lead us through this crisis. Not on your life. Consider for a moment what we as Australians boast in. Our cities, our economy, our homes, our education, our superannuation our industries, our recreations, our health care. Do we ever, as a nation, attribute to any of these blessings as a work of God's marvellous grace and mercy upon our nation? Not on your life. The spirit of a world is a spirit of self-dependence and self-exaltation. And it's that same spirit of self-dependence and self-exaltation that not only can enter our church, but our lives. Let me give you an example. Over the last two weeks, there has been a church in Sydney had its financials records tabled in federal parliament. And there were accusations of indulgence, and the misuse of the tax benefits that our government gives to all churches in Australia. What saddened me the most was how the church responded. There was no mention of seeking the Lord. No mention of even the possibility of repentance. No mention of prayer. No mention of confession of past wrongs. In fact, God was hardly mentioned at all. What was mentioned was the church's plan to reduce administrative costs. Its appointment of a third party to evaluate its financial structure. And the leader said, I cannot change the past, but I'm going to play a role in shaping the future. Really? Where's the spirit of humility that looks to the Lord in confession, Father, we've sinned. Oh, give us tender hearts to turn away. Forgive us. Lord, would you lead us in the future godliness that we desperately need? We too can be influenced by the spirit of this world. Uh, prayerlessness is often the fruit 
of self-dependence and self-exaltation. You know, this morning we might look around at our church family and think we have a pretty spiritually healthy family. And so we never pray to the Lord to deepen our repentance, to convict us of our sin. You know, we could look at our budget position and easily depend upon our money for our security more than Christ. My sisters and brothers, pride is the enemy of wisdom because whenever there is the spirit of self-dependence, rather, sorry, pride is the enemy of wisdom for whenever the spirit of self-dependence flourishes, the fruit of the spirit withers. So what's the solution to our pride? Look with me at verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What glorious verses. <laughs> it's stunning. The Lord Jesus says to the church, I counsel you, buy from me. The one who is the great I am, the truth, the one who is the faithful and true witness, his counsel is so, so simple, but so, so profound. Right? Buy from me. The later scenes needed to come to the good and gracious Lord Jesus in a spirit of humility. And in that spirit, they needed to confess their utter emptiness. Right? And then, by faith, rest in Christ's fullness. Right? Resting in him to give them that which is of eternal value. The fruit of a spirit. A tender heart that repents. A renewed mind that loves the things of the world. Resting in Christ to take away their shame. And through the power of his lifeblood, having God remember their sins no more. Right? Resting in Christ to open the eyes of their hearts, that they'll not only see the depths of their sin, but the immeasurable love of Christ. See, what these verses teach us is that only Christ Jesus can enrich our poverty. Only Christ can clothe our nakedness and shame and heal our spiritual blindness. And so when by faith we come to the Lord Jesus, confessing our emptiness, resting in his fullness, that is when our faith by the Holy Spirit is made effective and fruitful and we will be a blessing to others. Just an aside here for a moment, I can't go past this. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, Learn from me, for I am humble in heart. Do you know that is the only time in the scriptures where God tells us what's in his heart? And he says at the heart of his life is humility. Right? And incredibly, this is seen throughout his life, isn't it? Think of Christ's birth and death, it's bookend by humility, is it not? 
Never did the Lord Jesus Christ use his power of position to take advantage of, of a weak or anyone. In godly submission, what does Christ do? Willingly obeys the Father. And incredibly, in humility, he constantly calls upon the Father in prayer, depending on the Father, for all things. So when Jesus says to his disciples, learn from me, what are you saying? Is let humility be at the heart of your life, just as it is mine. As Christ depended upon the Father for everything, we are to depend upon Christ for everything. Let me give you an example from my life. There are many times in my life when I become overwhelmed and exhausted. I become overwhelmed emotionally mentally and physically. In fact, I reach a point where I just can't cope anymore. So mentally, I struggle to think clearly. Physically, I just want to curl up into bed. There are times when I go to bed very early and my children tell me that I'm getting ready for the nursing home. In those times, I come to the Lord Jesus and cry out to him in desperation with prayers that, quite frankly, are often disjointed, weak and muddled. Now, not always, but so often during those times, the Lord graciously renews my strength. I renew my strength in the presence of Jesus. And even if I don't feel that at times or experience that, Christ always comes to my aid. Over time, he leads me through my darkness. Because throughout scripture, God promises time and time again, he will lift up those who humble themselves before him. In fact, in verses 19 and 20 of Revelation 3, we see another vision that it's so easy to pass by, where Jesus, we see that Jesus is always willing to enter into the brokenness of our lives to restore and renew us. Look with me at verse 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, and so be zealous. Behold, I stand at a door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come to him and eat with him, and he with me. Don't you find that vision incredible in the context of the verses here? The one who is threatening to spit them out of their mouth, out of his mouth, now stands at the front door knocking on their closed hearts, wanting to be admitted. And the reason is that Christ wants them to let him in so that he would end their spiritual poverty. Christ wants to turn them from spiritual paupers into spiritual princes. Please hear what this verse is teaching us about Jesus. He is always willing to enter into the depths of our troubled and broken lives 
He's always willing to give to us that which is of eternal value, holiness of life, the fruit of the spirit, godliness, truth, a spirit of love, generosity, and in fact, everything that accords to God's holy will. He's always willing to cover our shame. He's always willing to carry our guilt, to take our sin away from the presence of the Father. He's always willing to give us eyes to see spiritual realities. The real question is, are we willing to let Christ give those blessings to us? You know, just this week, I met with a person who shared with me that they are very anxious. So I asked them, what is making you anxious? They said to me, when I get to heaven, will St Peter let me in? I asked them, because they are, they are a religious person, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God and the son of man? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus lived upon this world, died upon the cross and rose again in power? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus died to forgive sin? Absolutely. Have you come to the Lord Jesus, confessed all the darkness and sin of your life and allowed him to carry your burden? There was a long pause. They looked at me and said, oh, I couldn't ask him to do that. Christ is always willing to forgive us. The question is, are we willing to allow him? Are we willing to, to turn our hearts away from self-dependence and pride and in humility call upon the Lord Jesus to give us that which we can never gain through our own strength and wisdom. If we think of what we've heard over the last seven weeks in this series in Revelation, let me ask you, do we desire at the branch to be a church that is centred in Christ and spirit-empowered? a church that is ever deepening in our love for Jesus and deepens in a spirit of love for one another? Do we desire to be a church that upholds truth, never tolerating error, upholding holiness, never tolerating evil? Do we desire to willingly give up everything for Christ, not just give to Christ, but give up? Are we willing and wanting to be a church while ministering in a position of weakness possess a godly boldness and not timidity? Well, if you, like me, desire to see the Lord leading us ever more deeply in those paths, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus and call upon him to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Whether we are hot, cold or tepid depends on whether we turn our hearts away from our pride and humble ourselves before Jesus. 
I pray that we all may hear what the Spirit is saying to the church at Laodicea and seek to live our lives in a spirit of humility, living day by day, moment by moment, truly believing that Christ will do what is humanly impossible, believing that he is willing and able not only to forgive your sin, but to remove it from a presence of a father so that he no longer remembers. Believing that Christ is willing and able to produce in us the good, abundant and eternal fruit that we so deeply desire and that God requires. Believing that Jesus is both willing and able to be your righteousness, your holiness, your redemption. My sisters and brothers, let us seek in Christ everything we need for our daily lives and eternal salvation. Friends, this brings our sermon series on the first part of Revelation to an end. I thought it may be appropriate this morning that I lead you in a prayer through the seven letters to the seven churches that we together can pray what Christ is teaching us for us here. So would you join me in prayer? Oh, gracious Lord Jesus, we come together today and say all praise to you. You are the great I am. Your eyes blaze with fire. You see all things. You are our great high priest who lives in the power of an indestructible life ministering and mediating into our lives all that you accomplished in your life, death and resurrection. All praise to you, our wonderful Jesus. We come to you today, Lord, and we confess. There are times as a church where we, not, we have not loved you or each other as we have ought to. Please forgive us. Father, forgive us when we haven't been willing to give up. Forgive us for those times, Lord, when we've tolerated error and evil. Father, would you forgive us for those times when we've pushed your son to the periphery and trusted in ourselves? Lord, would you forgive us for those times when in our weakness, we've shrunk back in timidity rather than possessing that godly boldness in Christ. And Father, would you forgive us for our pride, our prayerlessness. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and thank you for your promise of cleansing and restoration and life. And we truly praise you for the joy of peace and forgiveness we experience together in and through you. And we pray now, Father, please make our hearts tender, that we would repent continually from all our sin. And we ask today, Lord, would you deepen our love for you and each other? Lead us to be willing to give up everything for you, just as you gave up all for us. Father, fill us with a spirit that we would uphold truth in a gracious and loving way and uphold holiness reflecting your glory. 
Lead us, Lord Jesus, we pray, that you would be at the very centre of our lives. Keep us from ever forgetting you. Give to us that deeper boldness that we would minister, Lord, the things of you in your strength and power. And Father, would you please deepen our humility that we will come to Christ in heartfelt prayer, constantly confessing our emptiness and resting in his fullness. Father, we ask this today, that you will be glorified in us and that we may know your joy. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.